You're listening to the Glory Girls podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host and executive producer, Jet Perrazzo. Do they think they understand? Can they believe in the life I've planned? Or are they just judging me now? Thinking they can breed me somehow? I'm not just a woman made up this world. I still have the heart of daddy's little girl. Part two of this month's episode, Glory Girls Podcast, we interview the one and only Georgette Jones. We just listened to the first verse of her song, Skin. We'll listen to the rest of it towards the end of the show, along with some of her other music. But right now you can listen to Donna and I analyze the interview. How do you feel about that interview? I'm amazed. I'm blown away. I'm still like, I don't really even get starstruck, but just the fact that she's here sharing with us and talking about the Lord is so magical. She's incredibly candid, I thought. And I think we gave her a safe place to really like open up and talk, you know, freely. Yeah, I think you did great. (laughs) Thank you. You were great at your interviewing. I was trying not to be nervous because, you know, it's so important to me to get it right, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely set the bar, you know, for us. I mean, everyone has to be at least as famous as Georgette. She's amazing. (laughs) It's just wonderful how God is using that. It wasn't really my idea. It was all him. I have to give the glory to God. It's all him working through us. We're, We're his conduits. We are so excited to have you here today. You're our absolute, you're our first guest. And I want to say Donna and I've been talking about this, that you really have set the bar for our show. And we really feel like this is totally glorified by the Lord. And we're just so excited to have you. Everyone, please welcome to our show. The one, the only Miss Georgette Jones. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I am just so excited to get to talk to you, Georgette. I, I've never gotten to interview someone so famous. Oh my, so. I don't look at myself much as famous, but, but I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we so. just actually, I saw the news that came out today of, that you're going to be performing at the Grand Old Opry this Thursday. Wow. Um, yes. And not only is it, you know, your mom's anniversary, a 25 years anniversary of her passing. It is also Easter week. Yes. So that's going to be like a double meaning, you know? It really is. I'm, I'm, our family is just so thrilled and excited about this upcoming weekend. You know, the obvious reasons, of course, Easter, but, um, you know, un- unfortunately in the past, we've never really um, been asked to be involved in very many things that had to do with mom or kind of honoring her. It's usually been about other uh, organizations or artists doing so. So 
Um, the fact that the Opry called and, and invited me to sing and um, is allowing me to bring my family with me there. It's just such a special night for us to be able to celebrate mom, her life and her music with the whole world. And to do it at the Opry makes it even more special just because of the history and how much mom loved being part of the Opry family. It just would mean so much to her to know that 25 years after she's gone, that they are still thinking about her and that she still has a special place there. So I'm just thrilled um, to have an opportunity to honor her, her there with our family. I am so thrilled for you. Thank honestly. you. Thank I know you. what a big honor it is being a country music artist myself. I'm still waiting for my first invitation, <laughs> but you've done it multiple times with your mom and later on as well. Right. So talk well, to me about your I, I have, experience. I have done it three times, um, but the the first two times I, I got to perform, I performed with my dad, um, which was a huge um, thrill for me to get to do that with him. And the last time I performed, um, I, my mom had already passed away, but my dad was still um, here with us. And they asked me to do one of each of their songs on a, a classic show um, where they were showcasing a lot of um, the country legends. So that was a thrill for me to be able to do that. It's always a thrill to be asked by the, um, the Opry, just because of the history and the importance in country music um, that it represents. But um, so I'm super excited for a lot of reasons. But one of the extra reasons is that my husband is a musician. He's a still guitar player. And um, he's played the Opry many, many times, far more many times than I have. But we've never actually played the Opry together. And um, he's actually going to get to play with me with the rest of the Opry band. And it just makes it even extra special just that he's able to participate with me. So I, I'm just over the moon, a little nervous, you know, scared. I want to make sure I do a great job for mom, but um, I'm just really honored that they asked us to be there. That is oh, what it, wow. I, I'm just, wow. I bet you're just like so tickled right now. I am, except for you. I, I know that uh, your your listeners can't really see me, but um, you can just vouch for this statement. I'm just a big old redneck tomboy. And so, um, <laughs> you know, it's so funny for me. I, I try to, to dress up and look pretty and do the right thing, you know, for shows and special <laughs> events. But um, I've been running around these last two days trying to, you know, um, do girly things so I can honor my mom. Mom was like the ultimate in sophistication and class, in my opinion, and always looked so beautiful. And I always struggled with trying to, you know, dress up. And mom would be like, honey, if you just wear some lipstick and something that sparkles, you'll be okay. So I've got me some sparkly <laughs> nail polish and I've got me some sparkly shoes and a pretty dress. So definitely going to put the lipstick on for Thursday. So hopefully I'll hit all those marks <laughs> and do mom proud. I hope. You look so much like your mom. I think Donna, do you, what do you think? Well, I was going to ask her what she thought because my sister was said, oh, she looks just like her dad. So I was curious, what do you get more of? Tam? It's really funny because um, I think when I was younger um, and I was, of course, being younger, I looked much different anyway. But when I had short hair and I had blonde in my hair, I think back then people did see that I looked, they would think that I looked more like mom. But as I've gotten older and I've let my natural hair, you know, my dark hair come out and, you know, I've got my dad, we always joke and say it's the butt chin and the big taxi cab <laughs> door ears that I got. Those are my dad. So I know I probably, the older I've gotten, the more I look like my dad, but I'm okay with, with either one of those. I think it's wonderful. And I'm glad that I, I look like either or both of them. Um, my dad actually said he used to think that I look like my Mimo, my, my mom's mom. So I'm sure I've gotten a little bit of uh, whoever they think, you know, I look mm -hmm. like from everybody sure. in the family. <laughs> I, I can see your dad in your face as well, especially like put the, your parents 
as adults, you know, grown, obviously, right. Know, you know, and then you as a grown, and then I'm like, oh, I see both. Like you, <laughs> like a perfect mish, how do you say mishmash? Mishmash. 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 <laughs> what about I'm your dash. sons? Do you see any uh, resemblance more uh, with your sons? You know, yeah, it's really kind of funny because when my, my children were younger, I have twin boys and when they were younger, I used to always think that my son Ryan looked more like me and our side of the family. And I used to think that my son Kyle looked just like his dad, but it's really funny as they've gotten older. Um, I still think that my son Ryan looks more like me, but he definitely has some of his father's looks more now than he ever had. And my son Kyle looks so much more like my dad. Now I think they both definitely favor my dad and in, in their own ways. And, um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's really cool because they're both in the air force. And so I was looking at their military pictures compared to like my dad's Marine picture. So they would have been closer to the same age. And it's really kind of crazy how much both of them really do resemble their grandpa, even though mm-hmm. we never really thought about it when they were younger. And personality wise, would you say that they take after I would, I would say, uh, you know, probably a little bit of both different things. Cause my dad, although he wasn't necessarily shy in the sense of, it wasn't like he was afraid to talk to people or, or that he didn't like to be around big crowds. It's just that he was usually pretty quiet until he got to know you. Once he got to know Mm -hmm. you, you know, we're all in there then like he was, he'd be fine Mm -hmm. to talk and cut up and pick at you then. But, um, and so my son, Ryan is a little quieter. Um, my son, okay. Kyle's a little bit more like me. He'll talk to a brick wall. Cause that's what I do. I talk to everybody. <laughs> like I'm not shy to just anybody I'll say, Hey, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, their personalities are, are, they got a little mix and matching of, of, um, of certainly my dad and mom and us, um, yeah. a little bit of this and that. Yeah. So going back to, when you were talking about your redneck, basically you're just a country girl and <laughs> yeah. when you're in. I can totally relate to that because you grow up just not, you know, wearing nothing but like jeans and t-shirts. That's how I grew up anyway. Yes. And that, and just, you know, either sneakers or we had those roper cowboy boots. Yes. Little, oh like, yeah. With a little like fringy kind of piece of leather on them, you yep. know, and we felt so special. And you know where we got those at? Where? You're going to be like, <laughs> you are a hick. Cause that's what we say out West. We call we're hicks out here in the oh, South. We- you're yeah, a redneck. Hicks, hillbilly, redneck. We're all we're all those things, and I'll, I'll we, claim them all. <laughs> we got our boots from the feed store. No, but that's oh. awesome. Let me tell you something. The tractor Supply is one of my favorite places. They got great dog treats for my dogs. I'm just saying. Hey, <laughs> tractor wrong. Supply, right? Hey, that that's be right. Sponsor for the show. Tractor Abs- Supply. Hey, there you go. Saying. Tell them I said I w- so. Best I best store never, ever. We go there a lot. <laughs> I would have never you- guessed that one. Did you get a chance to listen to the episode that Donna and I just put out part one? I, I did not have time today. I really wanted to so bad before it aired, but I'm going to want, I'm definitely going to listen um, tonight when we're finished because I'll have some time then while I'm packing to head to Nashville tomorrow. I wanted to get it done before this, but I've been, like I said, running around crazy. I still have not got my dress altered, which needs to be him because oh, no. I'm a shorty pants. So Uh-oh. I'm kind of panicking just a teeny little bit about things like that. So I've been running around crazy trying to get last minute things done, but uh, fingers crossed. You know what? I know how to fix some things. If I've got to, we'll have some double-sided tape and a good iron and I'll make it work. <laughs> you got to hit a pinch. You got to do it. That's <laughs> it. Got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Can I come to the Grand Old Opry and be on your list? Can I come backstage? 
I, I would love it. I got to tell you, there's so many people that I really would love to bring with me. And back in the old days, um, it was a lot easier. Um, literally, I can remember, you know, going to the Opry with friends and saying my name and plus two or plus four or plus whatever. Um, and now it's like airport security. I mean, you have everyone's very specific names have to be down. You're only allowed a certain number um, to limit however many people are in the back. And I guess, unfortunately, in the world we live in, it's become one of those issues for safety that they just have to be extra cautious on how many people are there. I hate that that's how it is. But unfortunately, even the Opry um, is part of this world and that we live in and we have to deal with those kind of things. Yeah, that's that's a shame. It's also a shame for me, but that's OK. I still want to be your friend anyway. Oh, well, we're definitely um, BFFs now. We we have bonded <laughs> over texting, so we're good. <laughs> I know. I was telling you earlier today when we were texting and you were telling me you were stressed out about getting things ready. I totally can relate to that. It always comes down to the last wire, it seems. Anytime you're getting ready to perform or like I make my own um, costumes, you know, I make my own stage wear. And so it's like, oh, I need, you know, I think, oh, I have all this time and just wait. I'm like, because I have this live taping coming up next month at the Blackbird Studios. And so I was like, wow. I have all this time, but then it really comes down to like, oh, what if I get that phone call and they say, oh, we want you to fill in for somebody, you know, cause the label is really trying to get me on the show and with my single on 46 stations for six months, you know, That's for the awesome. first single, you know, and charting on five charts. I'm like, okay, that, that, that call is coming soon, but I still have that procrastinator in me. It's like, <laughs> we'll just wait to the last minute, you know? So I totally understand. And so, yeah, we were texting and uh, Donna, I told her, I said, take some deep nasal breaths. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be okay. You're going to do great. And I really hope you break a leg on Thursday night. Oh, I appreciate. I really do appreciate that. Thank you. I'm I'm one of those people that um, I don't deal well with procrastination. Like I'm one of those list makers who make lists for her list. I'm that OCD <laughs> crazy person who gets nuts. I, I was a registered nurse for 17 years. And I think that, you know, after doing that for so long, I had to be so organized or else I wasn't going to be able to get, you know, patient care done. And it was, you know, a lot sometimes. So I think I got in such a habit of doing things a certain way that now if things come out of nowhere for me and I've got to improvise a little, I go <gasps> and I panic for about five minutes and then I get it together and I'm all right. And then I can get it done. But like just the initial shock of, Oh, I've got a lot that I've got to get done. Freaks me out sometimes if I feel like I haven't given myself enough time, but whew, it's going to be yours before I know it. And um, hopefully all will be okay. <laughs> yeah. I was just guessing that this is something that, you might be pretty good at though, given the uh -huh. fact that, you know, that your, your mom and dad were both such uh, busy people with their uh, careers. So, I mean, so you've probably got it right. I mean, is it like riding a bike? You <laughs> well, I mean, I do sing often, but um, you know, it's just the fact that it's the Opry. I think sometimes knowing okay. that it's such a special place um, and it being such a special night, very specifically honoring mom. I think in my head, I start worrying about, oh, I just want to make sure I do the best that I can. And I always feel that way with any show, uh, but I have gotten mm -hmm. much better. It's kind of funny. I used to be the most terrified person ever getting on stage, like to the point where I thought my heart was going to beat out of my chest and I'm holding the microphone, I can see my hand shaking. It, it took me 
a couple of years really to find my own confidence and to feel good in, in who I was and, and what I could do. And I'm not saying that I feel like suddenly I'm this great singer. I just have decided that it's okay if people don't like it, it's not going to hurt me. It's, you know, nothing's going to be fatal <laughs> if they, you know, there's people out there who don't like Elvis or who don't like Celine Dion or whoever. There's a sure. lot of people that are incredible singers and it's not going to be for everyone. So I finally got old enough, I think, to like give myself a break and realize that I'm not going to be for everybody, but I'm going to make the best music I can. And hopefully there'll be some people out there who like it. So I'm going to try to do the same thing, you know, for the opera. I'm just going to do the very best that I can. And hope and pray for the best outcome. And hopefully that's what's going to happen. So, And that's something that's pretty exciting is uh, that you're actually writing your own music now, right? You're not just singing their songs anymore. Right. I mean, I do my own music as well. Um, I do also, you know, tribute stuff like it depends on what people ask for when they ask for a show. Sometimes they'll want strictly a tribute style show. And so I'll do, you know, mostly my mom and dad's uh, music, but I am very yeah. thrilled at the, at the fact that um, as I've been making more of my own music, I am getting more opportunities to to do my own, um, do my own thing, you know, because not saying that I, I'm not thrilled to death to honor my parents because I am. I love that I get to honor them and help people remember their music and them. But um, as an artist myself, I do feel like I have a different sound. I don't exactly do the exact same kind of music that they do. I'm, I'm, I'm probably stuck in the in the 90s. I loved that decade of country music. So that's more the style of country music that I personally um, perform myself, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be able to do a bit of both. And the grand old Opry, you're going to sing their songs. Yes. Because, well, I'm yeah. going to sing mom's songs because right. at, at okay. the, op at the Opry on Thursday, they're specifically honoring mom, um, okay. her contributions. So I'll be singing two of mom's songs. What songs? So I'm, I'm going to be singing my man, um, which uh -huh. is one of our family's favorite songs. We always, um, have loved that song. And then till I can make it on my own, which, um, is one of my, I always say it's the two tills for me till I get it right, till I can make it on my own that are my favorites of mom's. And mom always said this was her favorite song of anything she'd ever written or sang of her own. So I thought it would be the right one to do in her honor since it was her favorite. They let you pick the songs. Yes, they were kind enough to to allow me to pick the songs. I think there had been a couple of songs that people had already chosen um, by the uh -huh. time I started choosing, um, but I am thrilled to do these two and um, happy awesome. to hear what everybody else does. I'm, I'm really excited to hear everyone else. So you mentioned a little bit about 90s country sound, and that's really where you feel like yourself as an artist. I can completely relate to that. I was listening to your music when I was doing some research and wanting to figure out who you are before we interviewed you, you know, and not that I didn't know who you are, but that I wanted to know who you are, aside from the legacy that you represent as well. Cigarettes and you, out of the songs on your record, I just love your vocal performance on that song. Oh, so talk you. to me a little bit about that. Yeah, that song actually was written by a friend of mine, um, Ashley Hewitt, and um, I always loved that song. I'd, I'd heard her demo of that, and when I finally started putting together the songs that I wanted to do for my own uh, project, I definitely wanted to do that one. I just thought it was a great song. She had actually originally written it um, as just a one-person uh, solo song, but I just thought it would be kind of cool. Um, 
maybe turning it into a duet just because maybe both people realize they're both kind of not right for each other. They're both kind of really giving each other not the happiness that that you really seek out in a relationship, but they're both just really not right for each other. So I thought it would kind of be a cool thing to do. So uh, Dale Watson um, was kind enough to sing on that song with me. And I, I've always admired him and loved his voice and was really happy that he was willing to, to cut that song with me. And uh, it's one of my favorites on the album as well. Thank you. Now, I don't know if you experienced this, but I hear it in your voice and it happens to me too. When I sing with a male, there's something, it's like you even, you step up your game even more. I don't know what it is, but you experience that too, when you're singing in a duet with a man. I think maybe when you're in a duet, it's like you're both, not necessarily that you're at competing, not in the sense of competition, but like you're both trying to be heard when you're singing your parts. You want to make sure that you're not so far in the background, you're not singing out. Like, I, I just think you probably are both making an effort to be equally as heard and and hear that sound that you make together. So I don't know necessarily that I even do that consciously, but it, it, I'm sure that it's, you know, that's probably true. I can see that that would be something I'd probably end up doing without even realizing I was doing it. It's almost like when you sing with a man, it's like, it's more not competition. It's more like in, inspiring to be. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a much better word. Yeah. And you're, you're wanting, you know, that there's another person who's affected by the song as well. And you're trying to compliment each other. Now let's take a listen to Georgette Jones featuring Dale Watson. Cigarettes and you. I smoked my last cigarette at least a hundred times. Quitting only happens if you're in the right state of mind. Letting go is holding on At least that's what I've done My cigarettes and you are killing me One by one When I wake up in the morning You're the first thing on my brain My cigarettes and coffee wait for me just the same If I could kick bad habits, babe The way you always do Maybe I could quit Cigarettes and you You find a way back in my arms Whenever you get sad I'm the best damn friend and lover that you ever had Cause every now and then when the lonely hits you hard We break all the rules while you break my heart If I could kick my habits, babe, the way you 
Yes, my friend, my friend Ashley Hewitt wrote that song and I was really excited. Not only did Dale Watson uh, agree to sing that song with me for the record, but um, he invited me that year to come to the Ameripolitan Awards and I got to sing that song with him on the show there. So it was really a thrill to get a chance to do that. I, I always love that song. Was it written specifically for you? No, in fact, my friend wrote it, I think, out of the relationship she was in at the time. And I think it was how she was feeling emotionally when she wrote that. Um, and I just always loved that song. I had heard heard it. She had played it for me uh, months before. She's a wonderful songwriter. And we actually, she co-wrote Skin with me, the title track to uh, my CD that I put out in 2016. And um, she just, you know, we really... Uh, hit it off well uh, for writing and I just thought she was very talented and was happy she would help me with that song too. Well I'm just curious I saw that uh, your mom was a smoker um, did she smoke her whole life? She did until about um, five years before she passed away. Uh, mom had a really bad um, infection that she ended up in the hospital for in fact it, her bile duct was occluded. She had major surgery. It was a really scary time um, before she passed away. It was, we didn't know if she was going to make it through that hospitalization because of that. They didn't know what was happening at the time. Um, but after she came through that, she had been on a ventilator for three days and in intensive care for, you know, a, a week. And so by the time she got out of the hospital, she had, hadn't smoked in quite some time. And she was like, you know what? Um, I don't like the way that machine felt and I haven't smoked in a week. So this seems like a really good time to quit. And 
you know, to be honest, my mom, even though she was a smoker for many years, we used to joke that she was more of a cigarette holder than she was a smoker. She was one of those people who would notoriously have like the two inch long ash just hanging there waiting any minute to fall that you would follow around trying to make sure she didn't drop because I don't think I think she would light one and she would hold it more than she would actually smoke it. But um, but she, you know, I was very proud of her for for quitting smoking. It's definitely uh, my husband and I quit a couple of years ago and it was the hardest thing I ever did. So I know how hard it was for her to have to go through that. And that was my next question was if you smoke. I, you know, I never thought that I would when I was a kid because I hated it so much. You know, back in those days, you know, remember, I don't know, I'm saying remember, y'all are probably by far not my age. I'm I'm 52. So back Pretty when close. I was, okay. <laughs> so back when I was, you know, 10, 15 years old, I mean, people smoked in the cars around everybody and yeah. the windows were rolled up. I mean, it was like yeah. the Cheech and Chong mobile going down the road. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, between everybody exactly. smoking in the car and like, we just yeah. inhaled it. You know, no one thought anything of it. Nobody's <laughs> but, worried about the kids. <laughs> no, nobody was worried about any of that. Cause everybody back then smoked. I mean, yeah. I knew very few people that were grown ups that didn't smoke back then. And um, I'm very happy to see that that has, drastically changed a lot over the last several decades. But um, yeah, I never thought I would smoke. And then what did I do? Um, As a teenager, I ended up smoking and drinking coffee when I was in nursing school trying to stay awake. So I would be up late hours um, studying for tests. And so I would just chain smoke then and drink a lot of coffee. And it became a terrible, terrible habit that, uh, I mean, it took me a long time to quit, but I'm just so thankful. Thank you to God for the strength to finally be able to toss them and not miss them anymore. I have one more question regarding cigarettes and you. Um, relatable for you to your first husband? No, I mean, to be, well, <laughs> sort of. That sounds like a crazy answer, I know. Um, I was so young. I mean, I, I, I don't want to give all the blame to anybody. At 18, I got married at 18 years old. What, what was I thinking? Just saying. Um, no one at 18 <laughs> needs to be married. But um, I think that both of us were very immature. We had no idea what we were doing and really no business trying to do it. And and when we both figured that out, you know, we didn't handle it well either. So my my first husband and I were, were only married for about a year and a half. And um, it was just a, a part of my life that almost seems like it didn't even happen now. It was so long ago um, in such a, for such a short period of time. But um, I, I look at things differently, I think, than most. Um, I've had a lot of people say, you know, do you have any regrets or do you have any, you know, things you wish you had never done or this or that? And of course there's things I wish that I could eliminate from my life. It would be great if you could just do that. But to be honest, I look back on everything now and and everything that I did in my life, even all the mistakes that I've made, they led me down another path. And whatever path I went down, I did learn a lesson. And some of those lessons were hard lessons to learn. But I feel like had I not learned all those things that I had to go through when I was younger, I I wouldn't be able to process and be who I am today. And I hope that I'm better than who I ever was before today. But, you know, I'm still not nowhere near the person I want to be. I just know that looking back on my life, I I wouldn't want to change anything because I wouldn't want to change any of the directions, any of the paths that I took to, to get me where I am today. Would you consider yourself a traditionalist in country music? I'd say yes and no. Do you feel responsible to like continue country music? I I do feel somewhat 
of a responsibility in the sense that, um, you know, my dad was a, a very strong person to speak out about the fact he felt that country music was losing its identity. And, and by now it, it's, it has far been lost in my opinion. I think he was right. Not because I think the music that people are making today is bad. It's just, I hear people talk a lot about evolution you know, that all music evolves. The music of the 60s certainly wasn't the same as the music of the 70s or the 80s and so on. However, even though I do agree to a point that all music does evolve, I also feel like if you take something at a seed and it grows into whatever that fruit is, you would recognize that an apple seed becomes an apple. You know what I mean? It, it's mm -hmm. definitely a lot different, but it's still something about it is similar. Something about mm -hmm. the roots um, is something that you can relate to and see is still true. Unfortunately, I think... Country music has lost its identity in the sense that once they thought they found the formula, the so-called pop formula, they started making more money for the for the labels with that formula. They just stopped trying anything else. I think they felt like they could make so much more money if they crossed over with things or if they weren't quite as country as traditional music had been for so long. I could be entirely wrong. I just know that you wouldn't hear one of my dad's songs on a hip-hop station do you know what i mean like it's yeah. just it's not ever gonna happen but and yet you hear rap music yeah. on a country station today I, I just think that we should yeah. have music for everybody and everybody should make whatever they want and put it out there let there be some traditional country music stations let there be all kinds of radio stations we shouldn't be limiting or trying to decide what kind of music is the only music we're going to let out there but it happens do you feel, I wonder if you agree with me, I feel one of the downfalls, and I'm a traditionalist, by the way, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of my music yet, but I'm a traditionalist by far, like I'm the, the soonest, let's see, I'm like 60s sound to 90s sound, that's me, that's my little pocket, and I'm going to stay there, you know, I think the downfall of country music outside of that is auto-tuning and hip-hop. Yeah, if you don't even get me started on auto tune, I realize that there is a there is a, a somewhat of a benefit to have some auto tune. Maybe someone's not having the best day. Maybe you have to get a project done then, and there's one or two tiny little fixes that can be fixed for whatever situation. I'm not saying no one should ever use it. Period. End of story. However, we've gone way too far. I think everyone can agree that it. You know, back in the what was it, 80s and 90s? We literally ruined people's careers over the fact that we thought that they were lip syncing. You know what I mean? There's, you know, was it Ash mm -hmm. Ashley Simpson? I think basically mm -hmm. was Millie ruined. Vanilli. Yeah, Millie Vanilli, who apparently mm -hmm. was put together by all these people. So it wasn't like the singers mm -hmm. didn't know their voices were being used. I mean, this, all these kind of things back in the day, if you didn't sing live, I mean, you were just railroaded because you know, what's the point in that? We can hear your music recorded all day long if we buy your records. I want to hear the real deal when I pay to see someone live. But now what's happening is not only are we using it on their recordings, but there, they, there's, I don't know if everybody out there knows this or not, but the technology is they can auto-tune you while you sing live on stage and you mm -hmm. won't ever notice it because it happens as they're singing. It goes through their system. It's, it's auto-tuned. And if you really listen, if you start hearing what sounds like that T-Pain sound, I can promise you whatever concert you're at, that person is being auto-tuned through their the microphone. robot sound, especially yeah. when they're laying on it real heavy. You're like, right. and, and, and it and takes then, out all the warmth and exactly. all the timbre yes. and the, it kills the tone. The emotion. I really, yeah. I, Florida Georgia Line serenaded me once. I used to drive Uber and they got in my car one day. We started talking about music. I didn't have no idea who they were. I only figured it out like six months later. <laughs> <laughs> and 
these boys sound so much better harmonizing together of than course. they did on the record. And I'm like, of course. And people ask me all the time, like, no, they sound amazing together. Like, I think what the shame is, I think you and I must have grown up the same way. I was very blessed and lucky. I, I grew up watching some incredibly talented artists sing naturally. And it sounded like their records because they were talented. And that's what they that what their craft was. They were perfect at that. And, you know, today, I think what happens is they look for a story to sell and a way to market someone. And it's and it doesn't matter if they can sing the way they want them to sing or not. I think the uniqueness of different people and us discovering those things are what makes music so awesome. They just are concerned about the bottom line dollar. And and my dad, I think, said it really the best. He said that, you know, used to when you'd go down to Music Row, and for those who may not know what Music Row is, it's pretty much where the publishing companies, the label heads, all the, you know, all the stuff happening downtown for the industry is Music Row. And he said, used to, it was a bunch of cowgirls and cowboys with their hats and their notepads and pens. And they were, you know, headed down to their writing appointments together. And he said, now you look around and all you see walking down the streets are people in their suits with briefcases. And most of them don't know anything at all about country music or its history. And not saying you have to know that to be a good PR person for in Asheville, but it helps if you kind of know what you're involved in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you're actually marketing country music instead of an idea or a person that they can make money off of. Well, before all the autotune fiasco, <laughs> I'm against it. I'm a classically trained vocalist. <laughs> oh, I, I get it. It's like the Olympics and steroids. It's That's what I think. Exactly. Exactly. And people actually did the hard work to be that good. Now it's like, oh, bunch of I'm sorry, if you if you lay on the autotune, I think you're lazy and I won't even hire an engineer who does that. I'm like, nope, pass, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I listened to an engineer's record. I was about to record a double album and I listened to the record. Um, I don't know if I should name names. <laughs> Maybe I'll just be really nice and not say anything. But I did not, I couldn't, I, I was just flabbergasted because the whole thing was so heavily auditioned that you couldn't even hear very famous female artists, probably closer to your age than mine. I'm in my early forties and very famous. First name starts with an S. Okay. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. I think I might. Okay. <laughs> and I was just surprised. And to the point where I just actually released all my holds on that studio and decided to go record at Blackbird. Blackbird's an amazing studio and there are some great producers and great studios out there and they can still make wonderful music. It's just, I'm like you. I feel like if you're on a level where you're getting paid astronomical fees to perform in front of sold out 80,000 seating stadiums, then you're a pro. You are a professional in this business. And if you're mm -hmm. a pro, what are you using these kind of tools for? If you are a pro, you should be able to sing in key, at least for most of, you know, most of the time. We're not, none of us are perfect. I'm going to hit a bad note here and there. I, you know, it happens. We all make mistakes. I think if, if you can sing in pitch most of the time, you should be doing that rather than being tuned. Because I think it's unfair to artists who really have been trying to hone their craft and they really are amazing singers naturally without the help. They don't get the opportunities that somebody who may be, oh, well, I think that this, 18-year-old girl who looks like a supermodel might be the perfect person who maybe can't carry a tune in a bucket, but let's let's just auto-tune her and slap her out there on a stage 
and see if we can't market this. And and I think we're missing out on the music. We're just getting people's stories and we're getting, you know, half the music we should get. Well, I'm a huge fan of hiring a really good vocal coach to rehearse with you months ahead of time. And that's the real way of doing it, you know, is to actually have someone that is helping you learn the songs and then also making sure that your delivery is good. And the last, you know, and then, the t- you know, do your tuning even before that. You got to do your tuning with your vocal coach, with your ear training on that piano. That is the way to go about it. Because if you actually do your homework, like a good little child, <laughs> you'll get an A. I see where, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. I mean, I personally haven't used a vocal coach. I do know their benefit. They are definitely worth looking into if, if you can afford to have one. I know plenty of people who have extended their range and have done lots of wonderful things using vocal coaches and they're fabulous. I've been very lucky that I was able to kind of get away with with singing without necessarily having go that route. I'm like you, though. I still you have to still have to do your homework. Like when I get a song, you know, I try to learn the whole thing. I try to listen for harmony parts. I try to make sure that I'm practicing it enough with and without lyrics so that I'm not listening to what anybody else is doing. I don't want to copy anyone. I don't want to copy a demo singer. I want to sing it how I would feel it. And I want to for me, it's all about the emotional connection. And I feel like that's one reason why I think if if you don't connect to a song, I think it's hilarious sometimes when record labels make singers sing songs they don't even like. Rarely does that go well. I, I think that when they connect emotionally to a song, it just, you can tell that. And I think anybody can tell that. Someone's just going through the motions or when they really love a song, I think you can see it and it matters. So we're going to move right along and we're going to listen to Georgette's duet with the legendary Vince Gill. This is... I Know What You Did Last Night with Georgette Jones and featuring Vince Gill. Boy, what were you thinking all about howling and a drinking? I know what you did last night. Twirling across the floor like I never seen before. I know what you did last night. Last night 
Georgette, tell me what it was like working with Vince Gill. Wow. Well, I got to tell you, it was really a wonderful surprise because initially I didn't think that this was going to happen. Um, I was thinking about what did I want to do when I made this record? And I was so blessed to have the opportunity to pick the songs, to pick the musicians, the arrangements, that kind of thing. So I really felt like I was able to really um, creatively be a part of this entire project. So uh, Dean Miller, who's Roger Miller's son, uh, produced the record for me. And we were having a conversation about, you know, what did I want? And he's like, if you had a wish list and you could just do anything you wanted to do, you know, what would you put on it? And I'm like, well, if I had a wish list, <laughs> you know, thinking, obviously, no, this is ever going to happen. But I'd sing with Merle Haggard and Vince Gill. Like, I'd, I'd have a duet with both of them. They're like, my, they're both my favorites, you know, other than my dad of all the male artists that they're my absolute favorites. So what happened was Dean from there was kind enough, not really even to say anything to me, but just kind of sent some messages along the way. And um, believe it or not, Merle had actually agreed to sing a duet that later Dean and I did together instead. Um, unfortunately, he got too sick and wasn't able to record it with me. But just the fact that he agreed to do it meant the world to me. And uh, But then uh, he said that he had sent a message to Vince's management team. And apparently, um, I guess because Vince was busy, they they had answered for him saying that they thought he was going to be too busy um, to get a project out anytime, you know, that year that he, he wouldn't be able. Two weeks later, Dean sent me a message and it was uh, Vince's message to him saying that he had just gotten the message and realized that they had said he was too busy. And he said, I actually am really busy, but if you don't mind me doing it in my home studio, I can probably get it done by April. And so Dean was like, what do you think? I'm like, what do I think? He could get it done in two years. I'll just hold the project. I would be thrilled, you know, to have an opportunity to sing with Vince Gill. So he was very kind. And I feel like he just absolutely sang his butt off, which he always does. But I, I think there's a little something extra in there. If you listen to it, he just sounds so awesome. It meant the world to me that he would do that for me. And I know that he did it probably because of, you know, my dad absolutely adored Vince and, and Vince, I know, adored my dad as well. They had a very special friendship. So it really did mean so much to me that he would do anything like that for me. Have you seen him at the Time Jumpers show? I've been meaning to go and I just, I just hear it's just amazing. Yes. I mean, of course, the time jumpers are just incredible anyway. And then when you have in skill with the time jumpers, it just somehow elevates the best ever to even better, you know, and I don't even know how they do that, but they do. They just are such an incredible, talented group of people. And I just love him too. So whenever we get an opportunity, we've, we've been there several times to see him perform with him. Have you had interactions with him like on the phone? Did you guys have any phone calls or have you, you guys met in person in the past or... I did meet Vince a couple of times when he was touring with my dad. I remember meeting him the very first time um, that I met him. He was actually opening when my, my dad was touring with Conway Twitty. And um, I just remember how we just really were mesmerized by the opening act. You know what I mean? We didn't know who Vince Gill was yet. He was just starting. And, and then, of course, we were like, wow, wow, this guy's amazing. And then, of course, we had heard he was with Pure Prairie League before. He, you know, he was doing this country music. And immediately from day one after meeting him, started investigating everything he ever did just because I love his music. And I had interacted with him, of course, several times, seeing him time jumpers. And we did have a, a phone call later after the record. I just wanted to make sure I thanked him so much because, you know, he didn't have to do that. And a lot of artists just wouldn't take the time to do that kind of a favor for someone else, especially for someone like me, I had no record label, no real deal, no, you know, no thoughts of this, you know, going 
crazy, fantastically, you know, successful. <laughs> so it was just a project I wanted to do for myself. I wanted to make the record I'd always wanted to make. And so it, it means the world that he would take time out to do something like that for me. He comes off to me really kind. I've never met him. I hope one day I will, but he comes off like through the music and through every, like the videos, you just see this, you just get this feeling from him. And he's just a really kind good-hearted man he is he's very sweet and he, but he also has just the best sense of humor he's very witty and quick and just very nice I mean I just can't say anything else better about him I don't know how to describe him other than just a, definitely one of the nicest people that I've ever met and just really kind definitely I do want to talk to you about the important life lessons that you have learned from your parents so if you could think of some of those and talk about some of those and if any of those have to do with your faith. Absolutely. There's so much relatable to that. First of all, I am very grateful that mom raised us in church and and that that was something I was exposed to at an early age. You know, I did like what a lot of people do. I think I try to rebel against it, you know, at some point. I, I didn't really understand it and and I didn't really know why I needed to know it. You know what I mean? I think when you're younger, you don't really understand why this is important to know and, and, and what we need to know and why. So some of the lessons that I learned, one of those things that came when I was 27 years old, that's when my mom passed away. I was 27. And at that point in my life, I was very angry. And I, I spent several years being very frustrated and, and not really knowing how to respond to everything happening around me. And I didn't really know how to make me feel better. I was just so mad. And it really, my faith at that time got me through. I knew that I needed to try to focus on the positive. And my mom, you know, one of the things that she definitely taught us was it doesn't matter what's happening around you. You, you absolutely can never give up like whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Even if it's just that you're trying to accomplish, not obsessing over something. And, you know, I obsessed over my mom's death for quite some time. It really hurt for so long and I didn't know how to get past it. You know, my faith eventually did. I realized I needed help with my depression. I actually started talking to a counselor and and I felt so much better just being able to kind of, you know, get some of those things off my chest. Never giving up was, was very important to me. That was something that I had to cling to for a while when mom passed away. But both my mom and dad taught me to be true to myself. Uh, one of the things my dad said is, if I relate it to the industry rather than something personal, which I could do both, but in the industry, he's like, people are going to know if you're authentic or not. If you're singing music based on something other people want you to sing and you're just going through motions and singing it, it might sound okay to your average ear. He's like, but if you can't connect to it and it's not who you are, you're doing yourself a disservice. And you're doing everybody else a disservice because you're never going to be able to be who you really should be. And that's who we all should be. You know, we've got to embrace who we are. There's there's already people out there doing certain kinds of music. And if we just try to be like those people rather than being ourselves, we're never going to be happy and we're never going to be successful in that. And I think that relates to faith as well. If, if we try to pretend to be a certain kind of person in society, trying not to offend people, trying not to upset the apple cart, you know, always trying to make sure we say the right thing at the right time. There's nothing wrong with being polite and careful, but I think sometimes we have to stand up for what's right. And that, you know, that's uncomfortable sometimes. And I think 
that's part of being an authentic and true Christian is sometimes pushing yourself to do and say and be the kind of person that maybe you wouldn't normally be. But when you know it's the right thing at the right time, sometimes we have to stand up and we have to speak up. And I hope that I am learning to embrace that as I'm getting older. I used to really worry about what other people thought. And as I've gotten older, I've realized through all the hardships that I've gone through, people who have made fun of my family, who have said terrible things about both my parents, who have said horrible things about me and my sisters and my other siblings. It's hard to read those things, especially when they're splashed all over social media. But I think what has helped me, my faith, you know, knowing that none of that matters. None of those things are important. You know, the only thing that's important is how we live our lives now. And, you know, what are we doing with our lives, with the gift that God has given us? So I'm I'm trying to learn how to navigate that and be a better person and to be who I am, but also to stand up for what I know is right. A very, very wise man. Do you know Larry Paregas? Larry I do says, know that name. I know Larry that. <laughs> says hello. He's the oh, president yeah. of, the, of the Nine North Records and the label that I'm with. Oh, awesome. Well, please tell him I said hello. Yeah. So Larry said, just be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Yes, it's perfect. It's exactly <laughs> correct. <laughs> That's yeah. great. So when you're talking about your dad, it reminds me of part of the book when you're talking about your dad and your mom were both this way. It seems like they were both defenders of the underdog and they couldn't stand for people to pick on other people. Absolutely. And um, I can tell you a story literally from both of their perspectives that comes to mind. And and I'm so proud of them for being those kind of people. That makes me very proud of my parents, um, that they would help others. Because I think both of them were terrified when they first started in music. I don't think they really, they just loved music. I don't think they really knew what this industry and this business was going to be like until they were all the way neck deep. And by that time, you're, you're sink or swim. I won't say what artists? I don't want. I don't want anybody all mad at me and calling and tell me I've <laughs> ruined it for them with one of their favorite artists. But let's just say uh, there was there were two people who were involved, and when they decided not to be together anymore, one of those people, um, out of spite, tried to call around and keep their ex from being able to perform at venues all over the place. Like they basically said, if you let this person play at your venue, I'll never play your venue. Well, my dad overheard this conversation and this person was crying and very upset about it. Um, you know, that really, it hurt my my dad's feelings for that person. He really cared about both of them, but thought that that was just the wrong thing to do. You shouldn't try to prevent someone from being able to make a living. And so he called around to the same places and said, well, if you don't let this person play, then I won't play. So you can pick between me or this other person that you want to play your venues, because if you don't let this person play, then I, I won't play either. So it turned out that he helped them so that that person could get work again. Mm -hmm. And I know that it, it meant the world to her. Um, she's told me this story herself. And I was very proud that my dad stood up for what he knew was right against someone who was actually a good friend of his. And, you know, it may have hurt their friendship, but he felt like it was the right thing to do. My mom, I found out long after she passed away, I, I, I met another artist who said that when he came to town, that he was terrified and had went to his first function, like at a the BMI party for his first number one hit. And he said he felt so uncomfortable, he just wanted to stand in the corner. And he said, if it weren't for my mom, like she literally came around and took him all over the room, like all night long, just kept him entertained, got him food. And I think she connected with him knowing he was the newbie and she didn't want him to feel like she did when she was the newbie and didn't feel comfortable in that situation. So 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's really cool that both of them fought for the underdogs. And I know that they cared about people so much that there are stories out there now like that, that, that people can hear and know that about them as people, not just the artists they were. And if our listeners want to know about that story you told about your dad, it's actually, you do name names in your book. Oh, did I? I know I couldn't remember. See, it's been so long. Okay, well, I just won't say it. Maybe they can go read the book then. I don't want to say it out loud. Just they, in can, case. they should go buy your book. <laughs> the book is called The Three of Us Growing Up with Tammy and George. And really quickly, I want to read an excerpt from the book. This is uh, page 150. We were raised Christians, but because mom was in us- usually driving back from a show on Sundays, we had it often gone to church. Under her new plan, it didn't matter if she was home or not. Unless we were with her on that tour bus, we were supposed to be cleaned up and sitting in church on Sundays. Tina had an answer for mom's strategy. Once she got her driver's license, Tina pretended to take us to church, (laughs) fooling the nanny in charge. We'd get dressed up, drive to our church, pick up a program, then head to one of our friends' houses and change into our jeans and t-shirts. Even if someone asked us about the service, we could wing it. All it took was reading through the program we lifted. I made up for those lost Sundays at Jupiter Christian because we had to attend Bible classes every day. I do feel that I became much more spiritual while I was at the school. That was probably due to some of the time I spent alone studying Bible lessons. What I did more than study was sit and reflect on the word and what those teachings meant. I think I got more out of that than if I'd been memorizing verses. I wasn't a great student at Jupiter Christian, just average, really. I listened to the teachers and did my homework without ever putting in any extra effort. Mom insisted I make at least a C and was pleased that I made mostly A's and B's with just an occasional C in math or science. Not surprisingly, I was in the school choir and played in the band. My first choices were the saxophone or the flute, but the band already had too many of both instruments. So I ended up playing the French horn for about a year. My favorite classes were English and history. I love to read, write, and put myself in other times and places through the history books. Yeah, like that brings back so many thoughts and memories because, you know, as a kid, like I said, you know, church was so different. It meant something totally different to me when I was a kid than what it means now. When I was a kid, it was a place that I was supposed to go because I needed to learn about what I, you know, how to be a good person. You know, that's what I thought. I thought church was, you know, where mom wanted me to go to learn, you know, Christian values. And I thought that's all it was. It was just like another school. You know, it's another school, but I'm learning a different subject, but it's, you know, I'm going to learn about God. And I always believed, I believed that Jesus was the son of God and that he died on the cross for our sins. It wasn't that I didn't believe the things that I was being taught at at church, but I saw it as something that when mom was gone, it took me away from doing other things. Do you know what I mean? I was a kid. I just wanted to go play and, and hang out with my friends. But it's so funny because now, you know, here I am so many years later and it, it took me a long time to 
who kind of put it all together. I kind of had to actually sit down. Like I was saying, I had to read it myself and kind of figure things out on my own and what it meant to me. And I think I finally got to a place where I realized, you know, church is more about not only learning about things to help with my relationship, but it's also about fellowship with other people um, that believe and have the same values that I do. Because it's really easy. For instance, my dad, when he quit drinking, it's really easy to fall back into a bad habit of drinking again, especially when you have people surrounding you that are drinking. You know, if you've got people that have a certain lifestyle and all you're surrounding yourself with are people who have a certain lifestyle, not saying that you shouldn't be friends with people, just saying you're going to be what you surround yourself with, you know, kind of like that are what you eat thing. I eat 500 donuts a day and that's all I eat. I'm probably gonna be very sick and gain a lot of weight. But if I eat healthy and I go to the gym, maybe my body's not going to suffer through any kind of illnesses, you know, who knows? But my point is I learned that the fellowship is very important. And we found a church when we were living in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and it's the one thing we miss the most about having moved to Alabama. We love being down here. I'm so happy to be closer to my children, but we are actively looking for a church down here. And, and we, the church that we went to in Spring Hill made such a big difference for, for me and my husband. I feel like we grew so much there. So I do feel like church, when you find the right one, it really is such a wonderful place to be. And, and you get wonderful friends who, you know, you can talk to about things that maybe you wouldn't normally talk to some of your other friends about. And I've really learned to love going to church. It's so funny when I, when you were reading that, I thought about how much I hated to go when I was a kid. And, and now it's like, I really do enjoy it. I look forward to going. And when I can't go, I miss it. And Georgette, I'm hearing basically when you were younger, you were, you were more about the actions or the religion of church. Whereas now you're, you have a personal relationship with the Lord. Is that correct? Yes. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm, I don't know. I feel like I kind of had a switch <laughs> that got flipped somewhere in the last couple of years or so. And it, I'm very grateful for that. And I, I do, you know, feel like finding the right church makes all the difference in the world. I've been to a lot of churches and they were all fine churches, nothing wrong with any of them. However, I don't know why there's some places when you do like our pastor just, I mean, it just seemed like he could explain things just so simply. And he did it in such an interesting way that I wanted to hear what he said next. And I wanted to know what the rest of the story was. And then being able to relate that to my own life, just, it was like, wow, I felt like every message he was giving, it felt, felt like it was directed right at me. And I think that was just a wonderful place for us to be. It really helped my husband and I both grow so much. And, and you know, we're still babies. I feel like we have so much more to learn and I'm looking forward to that. It's really been a great process. I've been enjoying learning more all the time. I'm curious. Do you think this is something that changed in you as an adult? I do. I think that, you know, we all have our our things that we have to deal with and go through, things we have to learn and and get past, you know, as we're growing older. And for me, I think I was always, I don't know, to some degree, I felt sorry for myself, which is ridiculous. I know it sounds, but my parents were gone all the time. I rarely got to see them. I felt very lonely. My other siblings were much older than me. And so I was easy for me to put on a pity party in my head and feel really bad for myself. And, and of course, getting older and, you know, mom, when I died, she died when I was so young, 
being out on my own and having my children and, and really since they were four, being a single parent, like all these other things that I went through, I wish I'd known back then how much better I would have been off had I reached out the right way instead of trying to find other things to make me happy or in trying to look for anything that seemed exciting. All of those things get me in trouble. All those things were not fun. All those things I was looking for to try to fulfill my life really just took me down a horrible path and made things a thousand times worse than they ever were. And it was once I finally, it dawned on me that things I thought were fun really weren't as fun as they seemed. You know what I mean? Because you got to yeah. pay the price for whatever it is that you do in your life. But I always would tell my children, it's so funny. Here I'd be preaching to my children. There are consequences to everything you say and do, good and bad, no matter what it is. Every single thing that comes out of your mouth and everything you do will have some kind of a consequence. I knew this and I'm teaching it to my kids, mm -hmm. but yet I never really listened to myself. And never let all that sink in until I got older. And I think at some point it clicked. And, uh, you know, like I said, no one's perfect by far. I'm not. <laughs> uh, I do feel sure. like I have grown so much, though. And um, I hope that I continue to, to grow this way. I've, I've really been enjoying learning and trying to find new ways to shine a light. Can you give us an example of the things that you were using to fill that void of your, you know, before you really committed your life hundred percent, I'm assuming you've committed, like you're walking two feet in like Donna and I am assuming. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, there was a time in my life where, um, on that, to be honest, after my dad died, the next six months to a year, I, it's just a shameful, miserable bl blur. I drank far too much. I was just so miserable. I didn't want to be awake and think about anything. I just wanted to not exist. I really was, I went through the same kind of horrible depression when my dad died that I went through when my mom died, but this was worse. And it wasn't worse because of, you know, it being worse about it, it was dad or mom, it, nothing like that. But for me, it was just worse because I unfortunately had, you know, I had worked so hard to have a relationship with my dad and it's been a long time building that relationship. And I was so happy to have that. And then you know, unfortunately, some things happened that, I, you know, I can't and won't discuss, but it broke some of that down. And I wasn't able to see him before he passed away. It absolutely crushed me in every way possible. And I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to process what had happened. I didn't know how to process not ever being able to tell him I love him again. It was it was very hard. And so I, I looked for anything and everything to fill that hole and that void to make me feel better. And, you know, if it meant, you know, acting crazy downtown, drinking too much, it seemed to work in the moment. And then you'd wake up the next day and be humiliated. You acted like an idiot in front of people who now are going to be talking about you and, and saying horrible things. But they would have been truthful, horrible things because I, I acted like an idiot for so such a long time out of misery and depression. And, you know, I'm just thankful now that I don't have to feel humiliated anymore because I know that shame is gone. Mm -hmm. I am very sorry for all the things Amen. that I've done in my past. And thank God I am forgiven. So because of that, Hallelujah. I have hope. And yeah, I have hope and I and I have freedom from that misery. I have freedom from feeling like I'm not a good person because of mistakes I've made in the past. I I know that none of us are perfect. And thankfully I've been saved from all of that because of Jesus. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for that. So if your dad was here right now, the things that you wanted to say, aside from, I love you, what would you have said to him if you had that time, if it wasn't taken from you unfairly? And I think that's very unjust. I, I really don't like what was done to you. I appreciate that. I, I think at that moment, I probably would have said something different than what I would now. I think in that moment, I felt the need to explain to him how things were being misrepresented, 
how things weren't truthful, you know, how what he thought, what he was being told wasn't accurate. Like I wanted somehow to just like to fix all the unjust things that had been said and done. And now I don't really care about any of that. I know that that is what that is. I know why it happened that way. I just would like for my dad to know how much I loved him, how much every minute that I had with him was very special to me. And that no matter what mistakes he made, I loved him and he was still a wonderful father to me. I didn't, I wouldn't want him to feel bad about anything because I know there was a time where he stayed away when I was younger because he didn't want me to see, you know, how he was living his life. He was embarrassed for me to see him in that state. And I know that there's times that he probably, you know, didn't know what to say to me. Like, how do you, you know, talk about any of those kind of things? My dad never really had that growing up. He never knew how to communicate with his family, you know, it, you know, you have to be that strong, tough guy from Texas. You're not allowed to have emotions and discuss that. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how he was raised. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but I just would want him to know that I, I don't judge him. I'm not mad about anything that he's ever done because he's my dad and I, without him, I wouldn't be here and I love him. And I know that he was imperfect and so am I, and that's okay. And we will both be okay and we'll see each other again in heaven. And that's, that's all that matters. I think there's a huge misnomer of people that aren't Christian looking on the outside, you know, the outside looking in, they think we think we're perfect. And then they call us hypocrites for being human. So I wanted to also ask you, because we're getting close to running out of time soon. And I want to make sure that we can get all this, because I don't really think there's much we're going to edit out, honestly. But I wanted to ask you, did you feel like you were living in the shadow of your parents? Or did you feel like they brought you into their life? Well, you know, that is a great question. It really is. Like in, in the beginning, I definitely felt like I was in the shadow. I don't, I, I don't feel like that anymore. But there was a long period of time. I was terrified to try to sing in public. I was terrified to try to do anything on my own because all I knew in my head was that my mom and my dad had been considered two of the best at what they did. And how in the world would I possibly be able to not necessarily compare or compete, but like, it's just human nature to compare people. Like first time I heard Lisa Marie Presley, I'm not going to lie in my head. I'm wondering, what is she going to sound like? I wonder if she's going to have, you know, that vibrato that her dad had, or is she, you know, it's just human nature. So I don't, I don't judge anybody for judging me. I'm not upset about that, but there was a time where I was just too scared to try anything because I didn't want to feel the rejection. Like I felt like I had enough of that (laughs) in my life in other areas. Like I didn't think I could actually stand the thought of people saying, oh, she's not any good or she this or that. Um, But as I've gotten older, like I said earlier, I, I really feel like I've accepted the fact that nobody likes everybody and everybody doesn't like everybody. So I'm just going to be who I am, do the best that I can. And I have so far been very blessed that I've been able to sing and make that part of uh, what I do to to pay our, you know, for us to be able to pay our bills. We very lucky to work in music, but I do feel like now it's an honor for me to get to sing and that I can do something that my parents also did. And I don't look at it like I used to in the sense that there's no way I can ever live up to that. I don't feel like it's a competition. I do feel like I'm just adding another brick into that house that is part of our legacy as a family. And hopefully I've contributed something along the way. Did faith help you overcome that? And was there like a switch or a trigger moment or a day when you just said all of a sudden you just didn't feel that way anymore? Do you remember that? Or is it like, like a monumental for you in any way? 
I do feel like there was a, t- a moment, and I know I, I spoke about going to um, to church when we were living in Spring Hill, and we had found, like I said, this wonderful church. It's If anybody lives out that way, it's called The Refuge. It's a small church, but it's got the most amazing, wonderful, kind people there, and just a fabulous um, pastor and his wife. They're great people. But we had only been going there for a week or two, and my husband was on the road. He was working at the time on the road playing for an artist. And so I'd gone to church by myself. And I remember when I left there, I mean, like I just had this, I mean, I just cried like the whole way home and like thought I was never going to be able to shut the faucet off. Like I just, it was just all coming out of me, but not in a crying because I'm so depressed and miserable and, you know, hate everything in my life kind of way. I was crying because it was almost like a relief. It was like, I suddenly realized that all those things that I thought I knew, like I really felt it. Like I, it wasn't just that I think I might be forgiven or God might exist or things might get better. It wasn't that I was trying to do better and learn things. Suddenly I, I just really felt like, you know what? I have this wonderful, peaceful feeling that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, how and when and where I'm supposed to be doing it. And I'm so happy that I'm learning and, and filling myself with this knowledge that now makes me feel happy. And just feeling that happiness, I think it was very overwhelming to me. That was only within a couple of weeks of going there. And I started listening to Christian music. I started listening to Caleb. That's the radio station that we were listening to there. Caleb opened up my life as well. It was one of these things where I'd never, the only other time I'd ever listened to Christian music, and this is going to be kind of funny, I, was when I was going to Jupiter Christian and when I first got saved. When I was 14 years old, I got saved at a Petra concert. I went with friends and I'd never been to a Christian concert in my life. I had not really listened to a lot of Christian music after I got out of school until recently. And I just found that these songs really were so inspiring to me. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier, filling my head with music that's inspiring and full of love rather than listening to a stuff that makes me feel broken down and angry. It makes a difference in my mental health and my attitude about life and, and how I feel every day when I wake up. I Like I said, I am absolutely so imperfect. It's not funny, but I feel like I'm learning how to put all the pieces together from that broken, imperfect person and, and try to find out who I am and, and be better. Do you feel a lot more balanced now? Because I think as a, as a retired nurse, I think, and then also as a Christian, I'm sure you understand that there needs to be a balance between your mental health, your physical health, and your spiritual health. And until you have all three of those things, there's always going to feel like something is missing or something's off balance. A thousand percent. I agree with you on that because um, there's times where one thing might feel really great and something else might feel terrible. But like you said, if you, and when you are working on all parts of yourself, which for me, Faith is the glue that holds all of them together. It's the one thing that gets me through when I get frustrated and angry and I start questioning things. And I have, you know, I used to give the best advice and now I'm learning to take it. It's hilarious. Do you know what I mean? Like I was really good at telling other people, hey, you should just do this. And I actually, the other day, started taking my advice. It's so funny. When I get this frustrated, I just stop what I do, I'm doing. And I just start to pray because eventually by the time I finish my prayer, I at least feel like I've done something try to make it better. And that makes me feel better. And then it's not so bad. And it sounds really probably cheesy that that's what I'm saying, but it's something I just only really started putting in practice recently. And I'm like, oh, okay, this, this kind of (laughs) works. This is making me feel better. So play 20 questions about the show. Uh Oh, okay. (laughs) Number one question. How the heck did that come about? It came from the book, right? Yes. I actually 20 
uh, 13th, February. I'm in the cramped van with my band on the way to a show in Oregon. Um, the producer, my phone number to ask me about my book. And we started a conversation then. Um, back then it was, they were considering it to be a major motion picture rather than a streaming series. But to be honest, you know, all these over a decade later, um, I'm thrilled that it was a streaming series rather than a movie because we had six hours then to tell a story that we would have only had two to tell. Mm -hmm. I don't think it could have been nearly as impactful and as good as it was if we'd only had two hours to tell it. Um, I, I do believe that the writer, Abe Sylvia, is so talented and he did such a great job. Sure, whatever he would have done, it would have still been awesome. But I'm just glad we had much more time to be able to tell their story more effectively. So the the book, I noticed it just went into more detail about your relationship that you built with your father after your mom passed away. So I was really impressed by that story that even after so long of time away from your dad and not estranged, but in many ways, I, I feel that you felt estranged and that after she passed, you were able to work on a relationship with your dad and actually find support from him that I thought was really amazing. And you did touch on your relationship with Christ. I was wondering, what was your mom and dad's relationship with the Lord? I know your mom wanted you to go to church. Did you see her praying often? Yes, I do think that both of my parents had a relationship um, with God, but I do think that my mom, I, I think she did a lot of what I did for so many years. And, and I hate that, that she did that to herself. But I think, you know, sometimes we are so judgmental of our of ourselves. And I think she felt so disappointed in any mistake she ever made. And I think she was always trying so hard to make up for lost time. You know, she'd be on the road and she'd come home and she'd feel guilty because she couldn't be here with us kids all the time. So there were, I know that I think she felt a lot of guilt, you know, a lot of inconsistency that she, I don't think know how to dealt with, but I do know that she, she prayed often. She did have a relationship and she, I know that she believed the same things that I believe, you know, my dad as well. Like I think he, uh, whenever he would drink, I know it sounds crazy, but his mind would always turn to God and he would end up at some point of the night, he'd be singing gospel music. It was something that once again, I think he would start feeling bad about you know, maybe he's not where he wants to be. And I think that um, that would inspire him to sing and um, spend time um, more just in, in gospel music and with God. But um, he loved gospel music. And Vestal Goodman was one of the most wonderful influences on my dad's life. And I can tell you that when my dad had his car wreck and was in the hospital, he, for a fact, even though he was in a coma and was not awake and did not know everybody that came in the room, he knew that my brother had been there and he knew that Vestal had been in there praying for him and both of them had been in there praying for him. And he had no reason to know that either of them had been there because my brother had traveled all the way from Texas. I know he had a connection that was very special, certainly drew closer to the Lord um, in his older years. Do you think that is missing from the show? Because there's not a lot of that in the show at all. Like there's a lot of things that I, that I'm like, okay, what, what would you rather see in the show that didn't get put in? Well, I think, I mean, they're overall, I think they did a great job. I do. It would have been nice if we could have focused on a bunch of other stuff, if we'd had maybe some more episodes, you know, like maybe if we'd had 10 or 15 mm -hmm. or two seasons. I agree. Yes. Two um, seasons. But, and we want yes. another season. But I think I was sold on the first season. I mean, oh, on the thank very you. first episode, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Personally, I think 
easily could have been three seasons. Well, you know, we actually pitched it, I think, for five because we had a lot of backstory for both of them. We could have used a lot of other things mm-hmm. that happened. Um, and I think at the time, though, they'd had a couple of biopic, like some things that had come across the the plate, so to speak, in the last few years that didn't do well. And I think that as a whole, they were worried about, you know, would people even remember who my mom is? She's been gone for 25 years now. Like, you know, they're not country music listeners. A lot of the people who you're pitching for investments. And they're so clueless. they just didn't. Yeah. No so one I think forgets now, country music fans do not forget. No. They're loyal. Fans, very loyal. Yes. They're the best fans. They really are. They are such incredibly loyal fans. And I think now they might be kicking themselves. But um, it was the most watched uh, premiere in all of Showtime history in all of. 50 wow. years. So we were very thrilled to hear that um, when that came out the next day. So yeah, there definitely was a push to want more and people have asked. But I don't think that that will happen. But you know, who knows? You know, everybody mm-hmm. riot, <laughs> riot for more episodes. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, we, exactly. <laughs> Donna, let's start one of those like change.org petitions and say, <laughs> right. you know, we want we, more. <laughs> You know, they used my book as a reference and and I was a consultant. I could introduce them to other artists and band members and friends and, you know, that kind of thing and set up lots of meetings and they really did their um, research and work on it. So I was very proud that they did that. Didn't you have an acting role in that as well? They were very kind to let me sing and to like have a cameo in two episodes of the last, or two episodes, two scenes in the last episode. So it was exciting. Um, It was really a lot of fun. They were sweet to let me do that. What did you think about the girl that played the young you, like the kid you versus the girl that played the teenage slash early 20s you? They both were incredible. I only really got the opportunity, though, to meet and spend time with Abby, who played older me. But she was hilarious. We just we've become friends and we talk back and forth. And I'm so I hope that she becomes the biggest superstar ever one day. I would love to say that I met her when her her biggest role was was playing in this TV series. So I'm 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 very excited to know her. She's just a sweetheart and uh, hopefully she'll do very well. Well, I just loved the cowboy and your dad. I think he was I he seemed like such a chivalrous man. The way he like took Tammy away from her, her husband <laughs> just yeah. walked out the door with him. That's Yes. It really is like, wow. I mean. Well, and people ask if that really happened and it, it really did happen. It did. I mean, I don't, we don't know the exact conversation, obviously, right. but yeah. I do know, I mean, both of them, mom and dad both told me, you know, together, they at different times, they were like, you know, yeah, they didn't even tell me what he said. They just said what he said was just really horrible. And my dad wasn't going to put up with him being so disrespectful to mom at the table. And that was just that he just, that was the end of it. <laughs> And I was just amazed how many, it almost felt predatorial was around the entire process. Like from the beginning, it was almost like the men were just waiting to get their turn with Tammy. And I don't mean it necessarily in a sexual way, just the the way for them to get power and control over the process of their their art and even when he had to sing the song to her and she came into the studio 
did that really happen? Did she really come in for that? At first, I didn't think that that had happened. And then I spoke to a few other people who said that it did. So um, I think I was sheltered from a lot of things when yeah. I was younger. And so yeah. I learned so much more, um, really, yeah. as an adult, so even things my sisters, you know. The amount of manipulation and control that was surrounded by both your mom yeah. and your father. I mean, I can't imagine your mom having to live under someone's thumb like that the entire time. And I heard you mention that that actually helped you to realize in your adult life that that's not something that you're going to do is rely on having a man around to help you. Well, unfortunately, it was hard to watch. The, I mean, both my parents, it's like they didn't want to be on their own. I think being lonely was very scary for both of them being on their own. So they had multiple relationships and marriages and, you know, most of them were not healthy. So my, my point and what I said when I learned from that is certainly that when you pick a partner, it's it's not because you're, you shouldn't be because you're lonely. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're picking a partner, there certainly needs to be a lot more to that. So very blessed and lucky that I am married to a wonderful man that, you know, I have a partnership with and it's not me controlling him or him controlling me. And, and it's, I'm glad that, you know, I learned and at some point in my life that it's okay to be on my own because it is hard. I mean, there was a time where it was scary for me as well. And when my kids went away uh, to school and I wasn't married and you're on your own for the first time ever, really like for a long time. And so it, it, it was something I had to get used to, but I was determined I was going to learn to be happy and okay on my own. And I'm glad that I did, but it's hard for some people to do that. And I think it's something that's really important for all of us somehow to know that, you know, we're not alone when we think we are. Um, and that goes back to my faith. I mean, there's always um, someone there with you, whether you can see them and physically touch them or not. Um, that's what kind of helped me get through some of those days. And and um, and I'm happy that I can be that person because um, it, it's very difficult for some people. And I know it was for my parents, both of them. Well, we need to wrap it up soon, actually, because I know Georgette, you are so busy right now, and that's a good thing in the music industry to be busy. Yeah. So what's and also, I think one show is not enough. There's so much more. We will love to interview maybe one more time, another maybe another after time. The Opry. After that'd the Opry. After the Opry. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we can do that after yeah. because yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love that. We'll, we'll do a part it. two. <laughs> Definitely. It will be episode one because what we just released episode 1.1. This is episode 1.2. And then <laughs> we're like, well, you know, we were having so much fun that we decided that we weren't done. We're going to make our own episodes. <laughs> well, I think I would love Georgette to be like, you know, say, you know, Georgette, if you ever if one of us ever needs you to fill in, you know, and substitute, we'd love to have you. Oh, I can talk like nobody else. Trust me. If I can do nothing else, I can talk people's ears off. <laughs> well, we would like to have you be an honorary member of the Glory Girls. <laughs> that would be Wonderful. awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. So we want to uh, end the show with talking about the song that you wrote for your album. What was the name of your album again? Skin. And this is the title track, Skin. I see them looking at me. I wonder what do they see? 
Do they think they understand? Can they believe in the life I've planned? Or are they just judging me now? Thinking they can breed me somehow? I'm not just a woman made up this world. I still have the heart of daddy's little girl. So don't just see this face Don't see my clothes or my hair that's out of place Don't stare at my tattoos or the scar on my cheek Cause they don't mean I'm trouble And they don't make me a freak No matter what, I'm living life until the end Behind my makeup Some things you just can't cover up All the pain and regret I'd not show now But I won't forget Those days were just stepping stones Cause who I was was still unknown Now I am a woman made up this world I still have the heart of Daddy's little girl So don't just see this face Don't see my clothes or my hair that's out of place Don't stare at my tattoos or the scar on my cheek Cause they don't mean I'm trouble And they don't make me
Georgette, why did you write this song and when? And, you know, tell me the, tell me the lowdown about it. Well, this is probably one of my favorite songs that I've ever written. And it's mainly because um, it's very truthful about how I felt at the time. Um, there was a lot of time I felt like people, you know, were very judgmental, um, expecting me to be a certain way or not to be a certain way because of my parents or, um, you know, I have a lot of tattoos, a lot of things that, you know, it's easy to look at someone and judge them based on what you think by a simple look or glance. And I think I finally got to a point in my life where, like I was saying to you earlier, I'm happy with who I am now. I'm finally comfortable in my own skin and I'm not as worried about what other people think about me anymore. And so this song is just really telling someone, you know, don't necessarily look at me with no makeup and my hair's not done and you know, I've got a scar and I have all these tattoos. I'm I'm not that scary person that you want to judge me to be. I really have that heart, that innocent heart of a daddy's little girl. That's who I am. And you are not seeing me that way, but this is who I am. So it's basically a song of just trying to encourage people not to look on the outside, but to get to know someone and to learn who they truly are. Um, because you can't really tell that just by looking at someone. And that's why I love this song so much. It's just me learning to be happy with who I am and expressing that. More, I'm more interested about you because I really think that it's really important that people understand that you didn't ride your parents' coattails in any way. You actually made your own way. I commend you as somebody who's had to make my own way as well. Mm -hmm. I know how hard it is, how you have to persevere. Like you, I took a, I took a detour for a while. And then came back to music, which is my first love next to Jesus Christ. Yes. So what don't people know about you that, that you say, I really wish everyone knew this about me? About me. Wow. I don't know if it's necessarily some, something that I would just say, I really wish people knew this about me. But I think if there was something that people might be surprised to find out, um, Anybody who's been on my Facebook page knows if they're on there ever at all. But, you know, we grew up, my husband and I grew up in, in homes that were not only full of music, but both my mom and dad and our whole families, we love to play games. I mean, cards or board games or video games. Mom loved playing Ms. Pac-Man and Donkey Kong, like all of those kind of things. She played all of those with us. So fast forward now, and my husband and I are gamers. We play video games and we reach out to play with other people in our community, whether it's country music or gaming, just for us to hang out. And we think it's really cool to reach out to people we don't know just to hang out and enjoy each other's company because we certainly need more to bring us together than to pull us apart right now in this country, for sure. And my husband raises money for rescue animals while he video games. So I'm very proud of him for um, helping animals with what he does for fun. So have you ever thought about designing your own game and working with a game designer to, you know, maybe make a Tammy and George game, you know, or a, a Wynette family game, you know, or George, jo you know, a Jones family, sorry, Jones family game kind of thing? That would be so much fun. But I think uh, probably the closest we have to that, we actually thought about maybe making our own um, marble boards because our favorite game on both sides of the family, we grew up on both sides playing what I guess a lot of people here call either Aggravation or Sorry or Wahoo. We've heard a lot of different names, but it, we it's an old fashioned wooden board that are homemade that we used. Um, and it was so much fun when we'd play on both sides. We we're all super competitive in our family too. So my husband and I have kept the tradition and we actually played 
um, and went live with it on Facebook a few, um, I guess about a week or so ago um, for the world championship marble game at our house. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and say I was the winner, winner, chicken dinner, although my husband will be sneaking around the corner to correct me in a moment, maybe, but (laughs) but it's a lot of fun. We just enjoy it. Games are a good stress relief. I want to thank James from the bottom of my heart for setting this up. And I want to tell you really quickly, and I don't care if we go over time, we're just, we're just going to just publish it as it is probably just cut out the, the gaps and stuff. How much I feel like, and I mentioned this in the beginning of the show, I really feel it was a divine thing because I, I don't know about you, but I hear the God whispers. I see the breadcrumbs. I see the, him guiding me. And when I pick up on those every time, it's been like, wow, beyond, beyond my wildest dreams. Literally, I heard God say, okay, it's time. Because Donna and I had been talking about doing this since the summer, yeah. you know, and, and it was like, just happened to be Lent and coming up, you know, Easter week. And I was just like, I, I heard this whisper say, go on Facebook and post this. And I posted exactly what I posted. New podcast glory girls podcast looking for people in the entertainment industry who are christians to interview i don't think i got a ton i got a ton of replies but yours was the one that stood out to me james was like well we'd love to do that we've got so many people asking us but we've turned them down and i was just like what is this real Oh my God. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, if you would have seen my reaction, you probably would have left. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, you're hundred percent right. Because I will tell you, there's two things that I've been praying about um, a lot lately. One is I've been asking God, please show me some way I can do something to help people in my community. Is there someplace I can volunteer? Is there a program I can do something with? Like, I just want to feel like I can be of service or value some way in, in the new place where we live. And the other thing I've been praying about is, um, you know, ha- helping me find ways um, to be able to uh, talk about him publicly and on social media where, because I, um, in the past have always, um, you know, WWDD, what would Dolly do? Um, I always try <laughs> to be politically correct and like, just not say anything about anything, you know, that's too yeah. controversial. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, shun people away or make people all whatever. And then I think about it and I know that that's not how I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to share what I know to be right. And what I'm supposed to tell people is, is what God would want people to know. And so I've been struggling with trying to get myself more comfortable with just being able to share things. And so that I feel like this really hit that for me and and it really is something I wanted to do. And so I appreciate having the opportunity to say that. So thank you. We're so happy to have you. I know Donna, I'm sure you feel the same way. We're just so, so happy to have you. It's a blessing. And I think it's funny that we all have the jet name. We've got Jet, we've got Jet Perrazzo (laughs) and Donna Jet. And then I heard that your parents made a song called. We're not the Jet Set. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like. Well, of course it's meant to be. God's giving us all the signal. <laughs> That's right. 
Well, you guys, thank you so much for having me. And like I said, giving me an opportunity um, to be able to express myself and to say these things um, out loud to everyone. It makes me happy to do so. So it's great meeting y'all. And I hope we will do this again. Thank you. Glory to God having you here. And good luck on your on your show next week. Thank you. I appreciate it. Y'all yes. have a great rest of your week too. Hope well, before, we, before we go, before we go, I think we should end in prayer. I think okay. we should make this a thing. Absolutely. So, does anyone want to go or do you want me to go? You can go ahead if you want. Okay. okay. I, I'm Catholic, so I'm going to do the name of the, okay. In the name of the Father and Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. And Lord, we just thank you so much for bringing us three ladies together today to be able to discuss the glory that you have given us in our lives and be able to spread the word to bring other people to you through music, through our stories of struggle and triumph. And Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you. You said if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will be enough. And we can't thank you enough from the bottom of our heart. And we just ask you, Lord Jesus, to continue to bless Georgette and her family continue to bless her music career and may it astonish her what you're doing for her God may it blow her mind and may she break a leg at the Grand Old Opry Thursday night doing the tribute to her mom and we just ask you Lord to just bring peace to Georgette bring peace to her heart and her soul continue working through her as she continues to grow closer, closer to you, God, every day in Jesus name, we pray our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, name. thy kingdom kingdom come, come. thy will will be done done on earth earth as as it is in heaven. heaven. Give us this day day our our daily daily bread and forgive us our trespasses trespasses, as we forgive forgive those those who trespass trespass against against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, Lord, from every evil. So thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. It's yours. Amen. Amen.